Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. Here at Evolution Recruitment NHS, we are committed to helping individuals and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to build trust and develop deep relationships with individuals to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I'm Matt. I lead Evolution's efforts in the Southwest, and I am your host today. The views shared by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisations. Today, I'm joined by Fifi Mahuana Dendel, IT Project Manager at University Hostels Dorset, and Abiyomi Omateo, Operational Transformation Manager at Royal United Hostels Bath, to discuss digital transformation in the NHS. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Fifi, do you want to kick us off? Hi everyone, Um, my name is Fifi and as Matt has said, I am an IT project manager at University Hospitals Dorset. Abiyobi? Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm the operational transmission manager at um, Rio United Hospitals Bath. Um, I basically manage digital transmission projects and at the moment I'm in the process of operationalizing the Neo Cancer Center that we're building in, in the trust. Brilliant. Now that we've introduced ourselves, let's move on to the topic in focus. You both have a question or statement on digital transformation in the NHS. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And then both of you will have the opportunity to give your take. Abiomi, you have two questions. So I'm going to start with your first one, which is, is the present funding model an effective enabler or a blocker to achieving the digital transformation strategy in the NHS? Before we get Fifi to answer that, what was the context behind your question? Uh, thanks, Matt. I, I think the reason is due to my experience, you know, so there are conflicting priorities, the different projects line up, you know, in, in the trust. So for each of the financial year, you have to determine, you know, which project, you know, you want as a trust strategically aligns to your overarching organizational goals but then the funding is unlimited is not unlimited so you have to choose what project to go for however let's remember also that the national strategy is to you know the next couple of years have all the NHS trust at least 85 to 90 percent you know in the minimum they are on you know electronic records this requires a lot of funding so for me how do we juggle this funding around centrally to ensure that you know each of the trusts have an equal share of the funding for their projects and beyond that, internally as well, when the funding come in, how will the trust then determine, you know, which projects to do to be to ensure that you enables them on that journey for digital transmission? Some projects will enable you further, you know, than some projects. However, that's from the management perspective, but from the perspective of the clinicians, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking of what makes, you know, my processes work better, what makes me deliver improved patient outcome, improved patient experience. They're not looking necessarily looking at that overarching strategy. So it's it's always a constant conflict, you know, of interest of projects, and you don't have funding available, you know, in an unlimited fashion. So that's the context behind, you know, that do we have the capacity in terms of funding to ensure that the targets we set nationally, we can achieve that based on the funding model. That's the context. Brilliant. Thanks, Abiyomi. So just to clarify, the is the present funding model an effective enabler or a blocker to achieving the digital transformation strategy in the NHS? Given the context that Abiyomi just gave us, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I can completely get it because it's something that we have having to juggle in our trust all the time in terms of like, which project do you prioritise? Um, and again, w- with the money as well. And I think from 
my observations, as much as we want to think very logically about it, I think it goes back to strategy. It goes back to internally within the trust or even in like, for, for example, I'll take a particular department, let's say informatics, for example. Um, it's being able to see, okay, do we have appropriate strategies? Do all the projects that we want to do, um, do they feed into that long-term strategy? And if, for example, with the you know long-term plan regarding digital transformation, are we being able, is that included in the overarching strategy so that we can be able to prioritize um, the funding to make sure that all the systems that we're implementing, all the people we're recruiting, all the investments in training in order to then um, aid into that digital transformation, is it actually, you know, is it aligning with what we are having? And I'm not saying that loads of trust organizations don't have strategy, but one thing that I've realized is that it's the infrastructure to then build that in order to accommodate the change that's going to come in the future. Um, and it's something that is definitely worth exploring. Now, because of so many pressures of like, I don't know, we had COVID, of course, and of, you know, the the current position of where our trusts are at, there is no capacity and room or time for people to actually sit down and actually then start planning as well. And it's being able to then juggle a whole lot of that. And I can see the conflict and I can see the tension and it's being able to then manage that tension really, really well, which, um, yeah, I think it's worth exploring. But I've yet to see, you know, a good example. But Abiyami, for you, you may have a really good example of that, you know, through your career or trust that you've worked at that they've done that. And it'd be really interesting to know how that went down. Okay, thanks. Uh, so not, not in particular, but I would, you know, Cycle back to my present project. So it's um, the new hospitals program. Uh, so it enables trust to be able to build, you know, infrastructure buildings. So it's funded not necessarily from the trust budget. So you can call it extra budgetary from the government centrally. They then fund that project. So a trust knows that however we plan for this year, there's some funding coming from the government and also to be buffered by the charity, internal NHS charity for that. So a trust can be rest assured to say infrastructurally, we are we want to have new buildings. That fund is not going to come from the already pressured pot of fund that we have internally. So just thinking in my head, and maybe my thinking is too ambitious at this moment to say that regarding digital transformation, we can then have a central strategy to say uh, all the trusts, all the hospitals, or all the ICBs, ICS, do not worry. Centrally, the goal is to make sure that this is your roadmap for digital transformation. The funds will then be released. You know, it will then not add to the pressure that you have internally for the funding. Because if you don't do that, you find two trusts, you know, with similar capacities, but they have different priorities. So on their digital transformation journey, one will, you know, progress faster than the other because of decisions being made. So if these decisions are made centrally to say, regardless of, you know, where you are at this moment in time in your journey, these are the projects that we think nationally are a priority, and then you can then be funded. However, you know, the government and, you know, the NHS Trust will then work that out. You know, I cannot, you know, they just have to work something out because I, I see that it, it is effective with the NHP program. You then see Trust being able to be ambitious in their infrastructure projects because they know that we're not adding further financial burden to what we already have. It's going to be funded externally. So maybe there's going to be another separate report for digital transformation in NHS. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, like I said, it's, it's worth exploring at, at this stage, just looking at different ways of being 
nimble enough to be efficient in dispensing the funds. No, that's such a good point. And I think um, as well, because for me, I kind of see things. I'm a, I, I, I see things in, in visuals and I think it's being able to then, okay, practically and visually, like, what does that look like? And I think being able to then have, all, honestly, all I can see, especially while I'm out of the South, is just being able to have the manpower to be able to then juggle all of that. And being able to have set people that is going to actually bring everybody together on one mind and to have the same level of engagement. And that is, and and I, I believe that this is a perfect opportunity, especially in the timing where we're at within the NHS, that actually to be, to be able to empower people to step up and be able to want to be able to be like, you know what, this is going to be my baby and I'm going to take responsibility over this in order to then improve it. Um and yeah, so just adding to exactly what you're saying, like I can just see how actually being able to then empower people and to see, okay, who will be able to be like, okay, I want to be devoted into doing this would be so beneficial. And it will definitely impact in making sure that with the vision, with the long-term plan, everything come into fruition, it would actually work really efficiently. But yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Have you, have you got anything more to add on that one? Uh, nothing at the moment. Brilliant. Perfect. Um, so the next question came from Fifi. Uh, this is more of a direct question. So how have you overcome unexpected digital barriers to digital transformation, especially in closing the gap for digital inclusion? So first of all, Fee, what made you came up with that question? So um, as much as, you know, digital transformation is the most, it's exciting. And of course, it's not something that is new. Because, you know, from the 90s, people kind of bringing in new systems in order to improve, um, you know, data quality and like all these factors into it. And it made me to realize that, okay, to kind of give you a bit of context in my background. So in everything that I've done throughout my career, it has always been people focused, right? So it's one of those things where as much as for me working in IT, implementing all these amazing, incredible systems, which I can totally see the benefit of. Um, I always, my human side, or yeah, my human side would be able to then be like, okay, how can I make sure the success of this system that I'm implementing goes really, really well? And it all goes into people. And with all that we're having, it's good to have great plans, great strategy, great vision. But so long as the person is engaged or the user is engaged or the patient is engaged, it will then, you know, be super beneficial. But what I found out is that not everybody can be able to access the same thing. So it could be, okay, for example, I'll give an example of one of the projects that I worked on as we implemented a maternity system, which is innovative and it's great. And the users are, you know, in terms of like documenting all the data, getting all the observations is so easy for them instead of having to use paper, right? And um the patients as well were able to then get an app which gives them agency to be able to like track their own clinical records, their appointments. And I think that's great because it gives them a level of independence. At the same time, there was a whole lot of barriers where I realized that not all patients can be able to let alone afford Wi-Fi. They're having to decide, okay, it's either I pay for Wi-Fi or I make sure that I have my appointments done through this app. How does that work? And for me, I've never had to um, think about it in that way that actually digital transformation, it, it's a very, it's a holistic thing. It's more than just, okay, we're going to implement like a good a system that's going to be helpful for the users. But actually, we need to ensure that all 
factors like social factors of the user or the patient is accounted for and it's put into the plan and stuff like that. So for me, um, the way to overcome, or maybe I'll say later how we overcame it, but I think for me, it's just in that one incident, I realized that, okay, we need to make sure that whatever barriers are coming up, okay, we need to make sure that we are focusing on people, making sure that they can be able to feel empowered in using the system or using that you know that particular yeah app or whatever and making sure that actually you know what they feel empowered in that so that's where my context comes from but I I was for me it's just more of like curious to see how other trusts and other organizations are doing it as we can learn I believe in continuously learning um and so that's why I put the question out there brilliant cheers thanks um just to reiterate all the question from the, from the beginning there for Yabiyomi how have you overcome unexpected digital barriers to digital transformation especially in closing the gap for digital digital inclusion so again given the context that fee's just given around uh, what she means by that what are your thoughts very thanks uh, i think that's a very you know interesting point you mentioned it i do think one of the things that has helped me basically is i always advocate what i call integrated plan so digital transformation in itself is both the end and it means to an end it's beyond, you know, plans on paper, roadmaps, and, you know, big visuals. So it starts with, I try to incorporate change management into my project management plan. Because you then begin to see the human side of it, like Fifi mentioned, it's the people first. What's the patient journey? You know, take a step back, walk through the patient journey. What are the patient touch points? And as a result of this new technology we are bringing in, what are the new pain points it will create? You know, like she rightly mentioned, do Patients have the opportunity of having an app, and then we think, oh, yes, we're not digitally matured. But some patients cannot even find their way around the app. It could be 1% of the population. Even if it's 0.05% of the population, it then lessens the patient experience, as long as not everybody have access to that. That, that for me, is also a question of you know equality. Again, uh, then the next step for that is, what are the other channels available? If, if patients can use an app, can you send them an SMS, you know, can you complete your, you know, your, for example, if you're booking appointments, can you do that through SMS? Can you do that via phone call? And can you then integrate all of these multi-channels and manage them centrally so that it doesn't matter to the patient whether a patient A is using the app to book an appointment, a patient B is calling in, filling to book an appointment. The most important thing is the system is able to integrate all of these channels together and make sure you're giving the same user experience to that patient. So for me, I think it's, Having that change management plan as part of our, you know, project or program plan in our digital transformation that has helped me. And that's on the patient side. What about us in the trust? What about, you know, internally, the staff in the trust? You know, you, you implement a new system today. I, I give an example uh, in the, the recent implementation I had. It's the APR system in my former trust. Uh, nurses or clinicians come in the Monday morning. They can't log in into the system because, you know, the password is wrong. Reason is not because the password is wrong, because... We sent out the memo, but they didn't read the memo on password change. And you cannot blame them because it's COVID, there's pressure, they're not reading, they're focusing on their patients. So it's a whole lot of moving parts coming together. How then do we ensure that um, uh, clinicians or staff have a smooth experience when we're implementing or on our data transmission journey? is again going back to communication, the, the human side of it. So one of the things that we did was we had, you know, staff e- events all leading through cut over, all leading through, you know, implementation where staff will come in, they'll ask questions in an informal setting, just ask your questions, bring in your fears. We can because again, 
uh, uh, users feel vulnerable when they don't have an angle of the system or they feel that the new system, they won't have a grasp of it. So at all of those, you know, forum, we will then give you an opportunity for them to ask questions. I can then build that confidence. And then we also, for me, training is, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Training is an important part of digital transformation, internally and externally. So there's, as part of the plan, as part of the treatment plan, there's a period of change. As a matter of fact, it's always my go-no-go, you know, and there's always a, a cap to say at, at 70%, it's a go-no-go. No go. At 70%, we can cut over to life. If 70% of the staff, if they've been trained on this new system, you know, so there could be different, different trusts can juggle things out and say, maybe a clinical system, clinical divisions, maybe 60% or 80% because, you know, patients are involved. Maybe admin staff, maybe 40%. It depends, you know, on the on the importance of the app and, and the impact it will have. So, but basically, when you, you must train, we must train, you know, the people. And you won't, you won't put premium on training if you don't value the people first as part of the value chain. So, like she said, it goes back to the people looking at, take a step back, look at the patient journey, look at also the new pain points that your digital transformation, the system we're implementing will then create because when changes come, people, we all do like changes. I mean, let's let's be honest with ourselves. I, I want to I want to be able to continue doing the things I'm doing. Don't don't come give me extra stress. But changes are part of life and that's why we have and digital transformation won't go anywhere. It's like you said, it's been it's been all through to us. We we started from using paper to some form of digitizing gradually and then it's a big thing now. It's a buzzword, but it's always been there with us. But the difference is that now is more people focused rather than technology focused yeah i think that that's my few thoughts on, on that that is so good i definitely took some pointers from there so listen i'm going to start putting it in my toolbox at work but um, Amazing. yeah and i think as well like even when you were saying about like having the change management plan and making sure that is implemented um one of the things for me as well that just it, i don't know you just got me thinking about even like in the process of like lessons learned at the end of a process, uh, at the end of a project, um, and implementing systems, that of course, you know, we have this long-term strategy. It's being able to, even if it means that, you know, we have a little survey of the lessons learned is really good. For example, internally to be like, okay, how did we work and stuff like that. But also go to the users and chat to them, and to be able to um, understand their needs, understand how they're feeling, understand that okay, so if there's gonna, let's say, I know you mentioned EPR. And, you know, it's a big thing where loads of people are integrating the systems into like one EPR and it's being able to be like, okay, now with little systems that are being upgraded or implemented, now that we are going to go into like integrating so many other systems, let me make sure that we're on step with how you're feeling and we understand. And it's one of those things where I think when you are in like project mode, work mode, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. Actually, let me touch base with people. And that actually the way they feel and their needs are priority, which it's very easy to forget, which I think is very encouraging. But I really like the whole process. So did you say it was like a like events throughout the, the um project? Yes. Yes. So in my in my past project, then even in my present project now, so about three, four months leading to, you know, leading to go live, yeah. leading to day one, we start to have all those pocket of events. And one of the things we also did was we're nimble enough to, you know, because People were pressured. So, say for example, in the morning during what handover, we didn't have change champions to go in and just speak informally. We we just took our change champions from amongst teams to just informally 
just reinforce, you know, change, you know, things that they can expect in the next coming weeks and just communicate really openly to people. By the time you do that constantly, people are then very self-aware. They know what's going on. They've you've allayed their fears and they're looking forward to, to the system rather than, you know, subconsciously, you know, not wanting the system to, to be implemented. Yes. And I, I also think, like, in, in my trust, one of the things I feel that they, we do very well is, I think every week you find the senior execs just have information sessions, you know, and their topics, whether they are prog- um, projects or programs ongoing or not. They are just information sessions with, you know, particular themes and staff just come in and ask their questions. And I that that, that, that kind of open env- environment helps. So when I got in, the level of support I got, you know, I can trace it back to that openness because people know now we have a new building, a new fantastic cancer center. These are the changes it will bring. So staff already know one year beforehand and constantly that's been reinforced. And we also have a, a department. I don't know how it is for other trusts. It's patient experience. So this department is just they live and breathe the patient. If you are going to have an app, they will look at it and say, maybe the font is too big. Maybe the font is too small. Maybe the colors, you know, what, what are people who have learning disabilities? Will this color hit them? You know, so you're not just designing as IT or techie, techie expert. You know, you have the patient experience team, you know, and holding you to say that, you know, regarding patient color, why don't you change this color? You know, all those little things that you said, where well, we're in a work mode, we don't think about those things. As an IT person, you're thinking about the big things. But it's just small, small things that, that really matter to, to the patient. Yeah. No, that is brilliant. That's so genius. And I think in addition to that as well, um, being able to kind of like take a step back and understand that um, sort of like macro events that are happening in tech, for example, um, with AI and everybody's scared of it, right? And of course, there's something that is very good from a technical pers- perspective. I'm like, that's genius. Sure, we're going to use that. But it, going a step further to training on the particular system, I think there needs to be um, a culture or, or maybe a behavioral change in terms of continuous learning. And that is to encourage people to be like, okay, don't be afraid of technology. If something, because people are afraid of something they don't know and they don't understand. And so it's being able to have like regular seminars or pop-up seminars or uh, pop-up lectures or pop-up events where people um, explain what AI is, explain what the why are we going to the cloud? What is the cloud? And even though we may know what it is because we work with it all the time, I think being able to include clinicians into the conversation to give them a better um you know um yeah take them on the journey to give them a better understanding of this is why we're doing what we're doing and it's serving a purpose and this is how it's going to help you and benefit you as well in making sure that your work your day-to-day job is smooth and it's being able to just integrate yeah all those macro conversations and tech within healthcare and I think it'd be really good and it'd be really um it, it'd be interesting for them to be able to have higher engagement levels as well when we're implementing something new that it's not something that is terrifying and um, but also for them to also be empowered to communicate with patients so for example if it's a let's say it's a system we're implementing and the patients are having to use an app and they realize wait my information is stored in the cloud I don't like the cloud conspiracy theory all of that I think it's good as well for the clinicians to be to be empowered to be like no actually I can explain to you why it's in the cloud what is going on and I think overall the relationship with technology would be 
a whole lot more healthier. I think there's a whole lot of fear that I think it's because people genuinely do not know. And it's so easy to just to, to, to take away that fear. Um, yeah, so something as well, it'd be, you know, a good idea to put into the mix. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, any final thoughts on that from our review? We can talk about uh, it forever, but I think that's it for me. <laughs> yes, you're right. You can. <laughs> no problem at all. So next up, we have a second question from Abayomi. This is, what is the effect of the human resource challenge experienced by NHS on digital transformation? So again, following the previous format, why have you chosen that question? Uh, so uh, in my in my little space, and I say little because, you know, I mean, it's the different moving parts in the NHS. I found that me, me, for, for clinical roles and even non-clinical roles, the, the, the loads are, you know, supposed to be filled. And it is not, it is also secret now to, to know that recruitment is, is a major challenge, you know, across NHS. And I'm I'm not sure, I can't say if that's a reflection of other sectors as well, but, you know, in my little space, I found out that we often find it, you know, challenging to to recruit, you know, people to fill posts. And then my, my, my remedy is not to analyze reasons why, but then that, that, that's a problem that we can't fill posts as much as, of course, the private sector is there, there's competition. Perhaps people want to go to private sector, maybe they want to get paid more or, you know, whatever it is, but it just stems from the fact that generally HR will have to then be more creative in attracting and retaining talent. Because like we said, it, it starts with the people. Technology itself is nothing without the people making, somebody's got to install the system. Someone has, has got to, you know, flesh out the requirements. You know, someone's got to, it's about, it revolves around the people. It's the expertise of the people that make technology work. So if you can't retain the best of the talents, there will always be a gap. And when when someone comes in and, and spends, you know, a couple of months or one year and leaves, and someone else comes in, there's a learning curve, you know, the new person comes in, tries to learn. As soon as he learns, maybe another one year is off again. So it's like an unending cycle. How then do we bring stability into the system? Something more long term, you know, to be able to. And then again, we you know we, we talk about shared learning, you know, in NHS now, or even you know cross you know cultural learnings. And how do we how do we share learnings if we have not even learned, we have not even matured to the point of learning ourselves as an organization? So all of this would then circle back to how do we attract the best talents and how do we retain them? And I tell you the competition will be we get stiffer, you know, with the private sector, AI is the big thing, there's so many disruptions every day. So people will gravitate towards where they feel they are maybe fulfilled more or satisfied more for, for different reasons that that's context behind it brilliant fifi what are your thoughts on that yeah that's so you i can we can totally relate as well in terms of that a hundred percent and i think for me it's just being able i think okay as much as we think that okay loads of users or people are quote-unquote afraid of technology per se i think there's actually a massive appetite that i don't think people are aware of in terms of let's say technology for example and now, with that being said, it's being able to then empower people or the, I don't know, the talent or empower people that are on post to be able to work in new ways using technology and being able to be like, okay, let, you know, for example, there are, there's culture differences as well with the generations, right? For example, I'm a millennial. So the my style of working and the thought of me staying in one place for a long time, sometimes it's scary. But the legacy of the NHS is people that have been working there for years and years and years. And there's like a way of doing things. And there's like, 
you know, a culture that's already been set. Now, for me, coming from a, like, fresh place, a different perspective, coming inside, it's like, whoa, this is so different. And actually, I can see the benefit of changing things a little bit or, you know, and I think, not that I'm not, I'm, I'm empowered and I absolutely love the team that I work with, um, but it's being able to show the talent as well that, hey, actually, you can put your own source, I guess, if you want to put it that way, into your way of working and to be able to like, you know, I don't know, I don't know, let's say it's a person who's a new graduate who's coming in as a developer and has learned a new technique that has never been implemented in the NHS before, actually learning and empowering them and being like, okay, show us, show us how you can be able to, how this will be beneficial for us to use this tool or use a system. And that'd be really, really good. And not being, and again, I can't, I think it goes back to um, bringing back you know, or, or integrating the macro conversations about technology into the NHS as well. It kind of goes hand in hand where by encouraging that, it will encourage culture of curiosity. So then when a person comes in and there's great talent, then they feel like they actually, they have room to be creative. They have room to have the their say. They have room to change culture. And by that, I can totally see how people, it'd be more enticing. And I know, as you're saying, like be, the private sector is our competition. Um, and lots of people are like, great. It seems like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, if you're not put it that way. Um, but actually, if people see that, no, you can be in a place where you are heard, you can be creative, that it's not this um, rigid environment. And actually, you can be able to bring out what you're learning externally inside. I think it would genuinely people feel a whole lot more valued and feel exciting um, in a way to be like, OK, cool. I'll, I can see how how I can put um my spin and my creativity on a particular project or particular system and I think as well through word of mouth I'm sure they'll be like hey you you're creative too come here come work for this you know come work at the NHS it's not actually as you know you don't have to this, this boring I don't know how what people are thinking what's what I mean but actually to be able to have people that are working within the NHS that are, are talking positively about the working environment will help as well to retain talent and yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. It helps. Brilliant. Cheers, Fifi. I'll be on with you. Any follow up to what Fifi's just said? Oh yes, like I'm right now. I'm, I'm having a time of my life, you know. And then when I talk to my colleagues in the private sector, like really, oh yes, really, you know, because there's there's this perception or stereotype about oh maybe NHS, but it's exciting. And, and the reason is that, like you said, the the if you have the enabling environment and it starts again with how we manage our human resources. Uh, last place I worked, I, I didn't stay to the end of my contract. However, I finished my project. I always finish my project, you know, morally, you know, I always finish. But I felt that there's, there was no, I felt that there was a glass ceiling, like there was no room like for me to explore or be myself further or be more creative. And the next thing you want to do is you, you want change. It's inevitable. You're like, okay, I've, I've got talents, I've got experience. I can move elsewhere, you know, and then juxtaposing both places, this is, I'm having, like I said, I'm having a blast, the best of my life. Why? Because, you know, I'm not stifled. Like I said, if I can even look at the culture of my organization where the up to the CEO every week will have information session, you know, on, on Teams with all the staff, like every week. Are you thinking, really? Yes, really. Every week, you just sit down, ask your questions, no matter how small or stupid or just ask your questions 
so it's a culture of we're here to serve you, we're here to bond together, we're here to grow together, we're here to support you. You know, that will that changes the paradigm to say, I just want to be here for six or one year and just leave. You know, I have people who probably started working before I was even in my diapers, you know. Something has made them to stay. So we need, and then, you know, there's a shift, like you said, from in terms of, you know, appreciation of technology. There's, there has to be like smooth, seamless handover from one generation to the other. Otherwise, we'll get to like an inflection point where there will just be a gap, you know. Some people now, you know, from training, you know, maybe people joined NHS 20, 30 years ago. Now they've been able to, you know, come up to speed in terms of technology because they've been trained, they've been unheld. So the next, you know, generation coming to the NHS also needs to be trained and unheld by the people who are mining technology now. But if people are not coming in, how then do you, you know, and old and pass across that seamless because it's about transference of knowledge. You know, there's the, they, there are those internal organization nuances. No matter how experienced you are, say, as a, as a project manager, or as an architect, or wherever you are, as a developer, when you get into an organization, all those little nuances that are not, you know, in the books or in the SOPs, you have to learn it to inculcate it. So, again, not to, you know, ramble around too much. An enabling environment, you know, will be very, you know, positive. And then we need to also begin to be our own champion, speak more positively about the NHS so that we can attract the best of talent, you know, into the NHS. And yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, and I second, I, I second the last bit that you've done. Like, I think, because at the moment, of course, with the press, like, it's it doesn't sound exciting <laughs> to work for the NHS, but it's honestly the amazing. I feel so fulfilled every single time. Similar to you, I absolutely love my job. I love working in our organization it's so great and I think even in that it's being able to be like okay as for me I'm an advocate and every listen all my friends everybody that I meet I'm like hey come come work for us it's great come work here it's amazing and it's being able to just speak with passion speak with positivity and also to be able to like confidently show people that actually no this is where you can grow as well with your career I think for me being you know I guess young person starting my career I'm still kind of like that I think it's being able to um if people see somebody like them who's you know flourishing within the organization who is absolutely finding fulfillment in that um it is encouraging and I definitely seen like talking to my friends or talking to people that I meet it's actually wow this is exciting I've never really heard that because it's a different narrative to what we are hearing on a day-to-day basis um and so, yeah, that's totally like we should really be our own ambassadors and be ambassadors to have people to come and work for the NHS because honestly, it's amazing. So, yeah, I'll just add to that. Thank you both for that. Um, as a follow-up to what we've just been discussing, Abiyomi, in our conversations, you raised two metrics that you believe measure the success of a digital transformation initiative. We've touched on them a little bit already, but these were the rate of adoption and user training highlighting that shortage of clinical staff at high rates of attrition will affect the adoption. What can be done or what is being done to mitigate this? So the start of you, Abiyomi, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, uh, and I share an experience with you. So when we moved into, you know, one of my past projects, we just implemented a new EPR system. And I found out or we found out that, you know, so the clinicians still were comfortable are coming on, on a sheet of paper. You know, and you spent months and months and months implementing this absolutely fantastic system to say everything is digitized, just put everything on the system, you know, all the patient information, everything goes on the system. But some people are still comfortable or you can't 
you, you can't, goodness me. <laughs> you, you just have to manage that. And not because there wasn't training available. There was training available, but people have been steeped in their ways of doing things for so long. So that again is a message saying, are we then really successful? You know, because if the goal is, let's move from paper to paperless. And then after implementation, people are still using paperless. So what I, what I, for me, I always say to, to my colleagues to say that, let's give it a bit of a time, you know, like when you implement and you hand over to operations and then see your work is done and dusted. Let's give it six months, you know, before we even start to measure benefits. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to finish a project and they say you're doing benefit realization. Give it six months, give it one year. That's when the real digital transformation journey starts. It, for me, it doesn't start, it doesn't start from I've done this. It's a one year roadmap. We started, we finished. Thank you, everyone. The moment you finish, like it's a day one into the new system, that's when the real journey begins of handling the people, making sure that it's adopted. You know, another example is, for example, you have an app where patients can, you know, book an appointment. You, they, they're not using it, but as they come in, as they are talking to the clinicians, having the appointments, clinicians are reinforcing it to them to say, you know, you know, hello, eggs, how are you doing today? Do you know that next time you can book your appointment? Give it three, six, seven months, people then start to adopt that. But if you measure success based on you're finished and then one, two months down the line, you probably feel you're not successful because we've seen that as, you know, the end in itself. It's a means to an end when you get to day one. That's when you then start that journey of reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing so that everyone can be where we are, you know, today in, in our journey. And of course, and that's why I think it's even called digital maturity. It's something we mature into so that the stages, that the baby steps on. So that that's the context behind, you know, saying, if it is a metrics to measure how successful we are, then we, you can't really start measuring from the point where you finish implementing systems. You have to give it some time and not just give it some time, right from, you know, the upper echelon of management, you have to put concerted effort to and hold the people. Like we had, we had floor workers for up to like a month or so after implementation, you know, going around the world, whether you have issues or not, I'm just here, I'm the policeman, I'm helping you, any problem, you know? So even for clinicians seeing that, it, it was a bit of assurance for them to say, I've, I'm here to solve your teaching problems, you know, yeah. No, that is so good. That is so good. And, and also, I think just, I was just thinking at the moment, as you were saying that, even in the plan, really, we need to look into having like a cultural review of how, because at the end of the day, wherever you go, there is a culture that has been set, whether it's good or bad. Now, in order to then influence people or influence people to change their behaviors in order to then um, engage with, let's say, a system really, really well, it's being able to also think, okay, we're working with people here. And we, they have a set culture, especially if it's in a department where they've done things the same for years and years and years and years, right? And mm. that as well, being able to just, in, you know, look into that, be like, okay, what is the culture that's been set? Is it good? Is it bad? Actually, do we see people that want to, or, or for example, do we want our users to be able to start doing things here, right? Or let's say go to a different, let's say point A or something. Point B, we want them to go there. At the moment, they're not really there. But what are the ways, what are the small changes that we could use to encourage culture, to encourage uh, behavioral change so then they can be able to then adapt to the, you know, 
the change of the where we're at the environment that we are trying to walk to, to work towards. And um, with that being said, um, we have well, I would say like six months ago we did um, managing a portfolio course. And we realized as well, like actually having a portfolio of projects and being able to have, you know, managing, you know, a proper like portfolio of programs and having, it's all to do with structure. It's all to do structures of like, actually, how are we managing all of this? Where is it coming from? And being able to then add um, cultural reviews, making sure, you know, you're saying the training and being able to have people to be engaged with systems and stuff like that. It's being able to then change the behaviors um, because ultimately, you know, whether it's a bad behavior or a good behavior, people are going to adopt something along the way. And if you want people to genuinely see the benefit of a system or um, whatever change that we're trying to implement digitally, it's being able to not forget that element that is so, so, so key in order to see success. Brilliant. Anything else for you on that one, Abayomi? Uh, I think uh, my thought will be, you know, as was talking is to, in developing our systems, you know, we need to be very simple. This is what I mean. So if as a user now, and, and I'll be very objective, if what I'm doing manually on paper, if I take less time or lesser time to do it than the new system you've implemented, I'm not going to adopt your system. I'm just saying as a user now. So if, if it takes me, for example, if it takes me two minutes to, you know, outcome a clinic on paper, and then it takes me about 15, 20 clicks, you know, on the system to, to, to do that process, I'm not going to use it however, you know, you try to reinforce it. So I think our systems need to be really simple. And, you know, like we said, there's AI now, we can very much more simplify things. Of course, there'll be governance, street governance around all of those things, but we need to keep things really simple, not just for, you know, the staff or the IT or the clinicians, but also for the patients. I'm booking an appointment. I don't want to press more than two buttons on the app or two or two clicks on the app or three clicks on the app if I book my appointment. Otherwise, I'm going to pick a phone call, pick it, pick my phone and call. I'd rather wait on the call, you know, and, you know, I'm speaking to a human and then I can resolve my problem rather than have an app take me round and round in circle, being frustrated. So we need to look at design. That's what I'm trying to say in summary is that design is very key in our, you know, journey to digital transformation success. How do we design simple yet effective system for adoption. Brilliant. Again, thank you both for that. There's some really interesting points raised on all of those questions. Do either of you have any final thoughts on anything that we've discussed? I would say, oh, not really. But I would say, although, like for me, it, this has got me so excited in order to, like, I guess my curiosity, I don't know, like tab has just opened so much. And I think it this has highlighted the importance of being able to share information the importance of collaborative working because not only um am I gonna come out of here feeling like okay cool like I've learned so much in this you know in this podcast that actually I can see how we can implement so many great ideas that came out of it but it's just yeah just encouraging collaborative working whether it's with a different trust different organization a different department um, yeah, it's just highlighted how important that is. So brilliant. Thanks for that, Fifi. That's that's exactly what the aim is. The aim of all of these podcasts is to make sure that we can we can collaborate and we can have these conversations. Sometimes departments can work in silos. And if we can sometimes look outside of that, there's a lot of learns that can be made from it. And that's exactly what the aims of the podcasts are for. So before we end the podcast, I'd like to say a massive thank you again to both of you. Um 
for your, all of your thoughts today and for taking part. Once again, the guests on today's podcast have been Fifi Makwana Dendal, IT Project Manager at University Hospitals Dorset, and Abiyomi Omateo, Operational Transformation Manager at Royal United Hospitals Bath. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message for that too. I'm Matt and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me on matthew.plant at evolution-contract.co.uk or likewise you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to both of our guests and thank you all for listening and we hope to see you again next time.